All right, uh, let me, uh, before we get started, this is kind of just prepping us for a prayer, I think, this morning. And it's found in Psalm 119 and verse 18. I was sharing with Ann last week of when I was reading through this of what a great prayer this is for each of us. And it says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open my eyes so I can see wondrous things out of your law. And as we prepare to go in this morning, that really needs to be a prayer for us this morning. That we don't just come in and we just don't want to hear a message, but we want to have the Lord open our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things out of his law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for being such a gracious God that you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to come and to worship you this morning. Thank you, as Riley was just playing, that great is your faithfulness. Thank you that we can cry out to you this morning and say that you're a good, good father and that I'm loved by you. That's an amazing thing, Lord. We are indeed amazed that you love us amazed that we're able to call you Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for being such a good Lord, for sacrificing for us, for paying our sin debt. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for being that guide that takes us to truth, and we know that the word is truth. And so we pray this morning as we just study the word, as we've already prayed, Oh, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, um, comfort hearts, convict hearts of sin and righteousness. Do the work that only you are able to do. And we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name, the church said. All right. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And um, I woke up and Ann chastised me yesterday uh, I woke up and I rolled over, and yesterday was my birthday, and uh, I don't make big deals out of it. That's why I don't say anything prior to that, because uh, my daughter, actually, the oldest, said, you know, what can we do for Dad? And she says, nothing. That would be a great present for him, uh, not to have a big party or anything. I, but I rolled over to Ann. I said, well, I said, I'm nearly 70. I'm 63. She says, stop that right now. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm alive, I'm here, and I'm grateful to be here, and, and so grateful that God has given me now six decades working, who, who would have thought that? I, I just look back and see how quickly time has gone. And I want to encourage us this morning, that's, this is not the message, but I can tell you that the Bible says this, that life is like a vapor. It is here one moment, and then it is gone. Now, why do I say that? Waste not the day that God has given us. Because there will be a day that we're going to depart and we're going to stand before the King of Glory and we're going to get an account for our life and what He has given us to do on this earth. Can I get an amen out of that? Now then, that being said, let's move on to our uh, passage of Scripture this morning, which is 1 John chapter 5 and verses 13 through 21. Uh, I have titled this message, You Can Be Certain. And as we start this message out, I went back through, and this will make, it's been right around six months 
from the time that we started this message. I believe this is number uh, 16, I believe. Uh, message number 16 out of the, the book of First John. And uh, when we began this study, it was really uh, understanding and developing a uh, purpose of deep assurance of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it was also a study that helps us in our assurance of eternal life. As a matter of fact, that is one of the main purposes of this book. And we found that in, in chapter 5 and verse 13, who we'll take this morning. And he says that you know that you may know that you have eternal life. I, I believe also that this has been an awesome evangelistic series because you can't preach through this book without understanding what it is to be a Christian. And if you've been sitting listening to these messages and holding your life up against the scriptures, it's really easy to tell if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people today who are claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, but when you hold their life up to the scriptures, it's not matching what the scriptures say. So it's been a tremendous evangelistic uh, series as well. Now, that being said, let me move on to something else. There's an old saying that goes like this, and you'll probably be able to finish this for me. There are only two things in life that are certain. Yeah, taxes, death, death, and taxes, right? That's something that we hear a lot. However, let me say this. There may be times that that may seem true, but I want to assure you this morning that there is much more that you can be certain of. Much more that you can be certain. As a matter of fact, out of God's word this morning, we're going to find that there are four different areas of certainty. Four areas that you can be certain of this morning. And here's what they are. Out of our text, we'll see this. The certainty of eternal life. The certainty of eternal life. The certainty of answered prayer. The certainty of deliverance and the certainty of truth. So certainty of eternal life, of answered prayer, of deliverance, and finally, of truth. So let's read uh, just this first verse because that's where we'll take from uh, initially and then we'll kind of springboard off of that. Well, you'll remember that this is kind of a verse that I read about six months ago, kind of introducing us uh, to the message. And it says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So when we introduce this study, again, one of the opening verses that we have, and that is this, that salvation is not to be a hope-so salvation, but salvation is really a no-so salvation. And you see, for the child of God, it should be very clear that we just don't hope that we're saved. You and I, as God's people, ought to know that we're saved. And that is why John was writing this letter. He says, I'm writing it to you for this purpose that you may know that you have eternal life. And folks, when it gets settled in your soul that you know that you are saved and that you are saved for eternity, it does this in your life. It frees you to live the life that God designed you to live as one of his children. Because if, I'm, if I know that, then I have an assurance that I can step out in life and despite what is thrown at me, despite what circumstances, the fact is I know that I'm saved. And that creates in me a boldness to face this world and to carry the gospel into the world. We need to believe in Jesus Christ 
in order to have eternal life. Note again in verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. And so when we say that, it, again, it is necessary that you believe in Jesus Christ so that you can know that you're saved. But we need to understand this. Belief is simply not believing. It is much deeper than that. Belief in Christ is not a mere academic or intellectual acceptance of what the Bible says is true. James 2.19 tells us this, that the demons of hell believe and shudder at his name. You know, it's possible. It is very possible for a person to believe the truth about everything the Bible says concerning the person of Jesus Christ and still be lost and headed to hell. You see, the demons believe that. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that Jesus came to save the world. The demons believe that he died on a cross, that he was put in a grave, and that he rose again on the third day. The demons believe that someday he is going to come back, and the demons believe that someday they will be going to eternal punishment. So belief in Jesus is not just an academic or intellectual belief. So what we talk about when we have eternal life, it is much greater, much deeper than simply believing those things. And it's good that he says this. Here's what biblical belief really involves. And listen closely. Biblical belief in Christ involves repentance, confession, and lordship. And, and so, listen, we're, we're talking about a time now that you and I are going to be trying to reach our community uh, in various ways, one of those being our D-Life group, and, and trying to reach people to bring them into our homes that are unsaved people. And the goal of that is so we can introduce them to Jesus Christ, but let's make sure that we're introducing them to Jesus Christ in the correct way, which is simply this, you don't just need to believe in Jesus, what you need to do is you need to repent, you need to confess and you need to follow him as Lord. Now let me expand on that just a little bit more. Repentance is this. Repentance is having a change of heart that leads to a change of direction in your life. It, it is taking a look and saying, I agree with what God says concerning my sin. I'm going to turn from that sin. I'm going to turn to God for salvation. And not only am I going to do that, but according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says that I am going to do that for the purpose of serving God. You see, that is biblical repentance. The idea that just believing or coming and, and confessing a prayer and then going on to live a life that never shows any fruit at all is not the true belief or biblical belief in Jesus Christ. Man, that was, that was so quiet I almost got an echo. <laughs> but that's the truth. It is necessary Again, great many people who claim that I believe in Jesus Christ simply have something in league with the demons of hell rather than God's people. Those that believe, John writes, can know they have eternal life. How? How do they know? 
Well, John says, these things have I written to you. Well, what are these things? Well, let's go back, hold your ribbon there, and go back to chapter 1 of 1 John. And let's kind of, this is kind of a review of where we've been for the last six months. But again, trying to, to instill in us and, and, and encourage us in the certainty of things that we have. But how can we know that we're saved? Well, chapter 1 and verse 6 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, who are we talking about? If we have fellowship with God, if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we, uh, and we lie and do not the truth. So what is it that he is saying? If, if you believe, do these things. He is letting us know this in this verse. Look at verse 3-3 to just kind of round this out. And it says, And hereby we do know that we, uh, that we know him if we keep his commandments. So, so what are we talking about here? What we're simply saying is belief in Jesus Christ and knowing that you're saved means this, is that there is a broken pattern of sin in your life. That's it. Now we know that we're going to sin because the, the Bible says here in 1 John as well, those who say that they don't sin, he says they're lying, right? We all know that we're going to sin, but we're talking about it's habitual sin. And we said this many, many times over. Listen, when we look at the life of a Christian, when we look at our own life, what we're looking at is saying, what is our life most like? Are we consistently following the teachings of Jesus Christ, or has there never been a break in the pattern? I promise you that there have been a lot of false confessions of faith from whether it was a child or an adult. And that there comes a time that they, they set up right on a position like this, and they're there in a coffin. And because at one point they said, oh, I believe in Jesus. And there was no change in their life whatsoever until that time that they were taken out and they breathed their last. Can I tell you, based on the authority of God's word, there is a greater chance that person entered into an eternal hell than they entered into heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. That's the truth. That's what John is saying. Just because somebody says something, just because they say, I believe, that's not the case. Friends, there must be a change in life. Amen. That's what the repentance is. Repentance not, is not, as some people say, repentance is this. Repentance is just changing your mind about who Jesus is. No, it's not. Very clear. Jesus says, you are to repent. John says, you are to repent. Peter says, you are to repent. Paul says, you are to repent. Repentance is necessary to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this, how can you know? Well, listen, if you're sitting here this morning... And there's been a time that you came to Christ and you started following him and that pattern of sin was broken in your life, then you can know you have eternal life because God did a work in your heart and there became a desire to follow him. Can I get an amen out of that? You see, that's what he's saying. Here's how you know. You, you can know simply by this. Is there a change in your life? Listen, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we become a new creation in Christ. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And again, listen, 
If you followed me around this week, I guarantee you have seen some things that maybe a redeemed man should not do. At least, I'm not talking huge things, but, you know, some of y'all looked very concerned for that, you know, for a moment. But I promise you that if I followed you around for a week, there would probably be a couple of things in your life that a child of God maybe shouldn't do or shouldn't think or shouldn't say. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an unbroken pattern of sin. Does that make sense? And so what, when our lives, when we look at that, hey, that, that is the certainty of having salvation. That is the certainty of knowing that I'm saved when I can look back at a point and say, man, there was a point I decided through the grace of God, by the gift of God's grace, did you know this? Check this out. Did you know that repentance is even a gift from God? That he grants you the ability to repent. You don't even have it in yourself to be able to do that. And so when we turn to him in repentance, it is one of those things that we rejoice in because it is a truth, it is a certainty of showing that, hey, you are a child of God. Furthermore, he says, these things that I've written that you may know that you have eternal life as an obedience to desire and follow his commandments. Chapter 2 and verse 3, uh, we just read, I read the wrong scripture a while ago, but 2, 3, it says this, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You see, keeping his commandments is not a suggestion. It, it is not something that, that we just say, well, you know, I, I want to follow you. I want eternal life, Jesus, but I don't want to do all the things that you call me to do all you have to do is really check out what the lord himself says concerning that do you remember the rich young ruler and he says you know if, if you want to have eternal life this is what you do follow all the commandments we, we've used this illustration many times and, and he says well i've done all of those wrong we know that he didn't so jesus just gets to the heart of the matter he says if you really want to follow me then you'll do this sell everything you have give it to the poor come follow me now, he didn't tell everybody to do that. He told him to do that. And what did that young man do? He walked the other way. He walked away lost, folks. He didn't walk away saved. He walked away lost. And I'll tell you something else the Lord didn't go do it. He said, wait, wait, wait. If you just give some, then you can have eternal life. No, the Lord made it clear. You'll give everything to follow me or you won't follow me. And I thought of something this week as I was kind of studying through the scriptures. I want you to listen to this. I don't have it written down, so I, you know, it was one of those moments of, that I thought of something which is rare that's my own. <laughs> and I didn't even write it down, or if I did, I threw it away already. But here's, here's kind of just a, a little bit. Are we in love with coming to church to worship Jesus? Are we just in love with coming to church to do the things that we always do? Let that sink in. What brings you to church this morning? Just because it's something you've done for years and years and years? Just because you like the way things are done? Just because you like the dynamic of the preacher? Just because you like the way that Riley leads our music? Do you do it because of all the trappings or you come to church to worship the living Christ? It's a big difference. And, and so 
when we look at this and we say, how can I know? Is there a desire in your heart to follow the commands of Christ? If there isn't, there ought to be a real big question of why? Why? Why not? And, and if there's a why not, then there ought to be a prayer that would follow, God, please forgive me, and you repent, <laughs> and you follow him and do what his word says. Does that make sense? That's the second test that he gave us. Here's the third one, a love for God's people, chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. Let's look there. Nine, yep, chapter 2 and 9 and 10. It says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. What is he saying there? Listen, you can't say that you love God. You can't say that if you're going to follow after him, that I'm going to follow God, but I'm going to hate my fellow man. It's an impossibility. The Lord says that person doesn't really understand what love is then if they're not willing to love, especially God's people, especially. Now everybody, everybody look left and right. Now I want you to see something. Those are folks that have faults. You look up here. Your pastor has a lot of faults. But you're to love me despite those faults. And I'm to love you despite your faults. And I'm to demonstrate that love. And one of the greatest ways the church can demonstrate their love for one another is by serving one another faithfully. You see, that's how we know. That's how, when John says there's a certainty of eternal life, listen, is there a broken pattern of sin in your life? Or is there an obedience, a desire to follow after the commands of Christ? Is there a love for God and his people? Really, you remember he just said, this is, this is the way that you know. These are the two great commandments, love God, love one another. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. Now, the certainty of prayers heard and answered would be the second certainty. The certainty of prayers heard and answered. Let's go back to chapter 5 and look at verses 14 through 17. It says, And this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Let me just stop right there and we'll come back and catch the next couple of verses and, and address another issue there. But let me just kind of get to those first. The first thing it says that, that we have a confidence, really. Verse 14, and this is the confidence. You'll remember, you probably don't, but let me refresh your memory uh, of that word. Confidence means really, it means this, a freedom to speak. Now, you just sit and meditate on that. And I had an old friend that one time says, you just need to ruminate on that, to marinate on that a moment. And think about that. And what that means is that we have this confidence. There is a freedom that you and I have to freely come to Jesus Christ, to God the Father, and to speak to him. Think about what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, that, that that veil, when Christ died, when the evidence was laid out and that veil was split in two that separated the common from the holy of holies, that is the confidence that you and I have now today is that we are able to come into the very presence of God and cry out to him, Abba, Father, because of Jesus Christ. He says that is the freedom that we have as his people. 
You have the certainty of that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are able to come before him and cry out to him, lay out your heart to him, ask of him the things that are the desires of your heart. And the Bible says he not only hears you, but he answers you. And you're, you're saying, wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. I've asked a lot of things of God and I never got an answer. Well, the Holy Spirit knew that that question would come up. It tells us again, we have this confidence that our prayers will be answered. We can ask anything and he hears and answers our prayers. But there's a caveat. And the caveat is this. Let's look again. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, a lot of people want to stop right there. But take note what the scripture says. According to to his will you see in our culture so much we think that we have the right to just kind of sashay right into the lord's presence and saying i'm here hope you appreciate it got a few requests for you this morning and then we walk away and saying well god must not be real because he didn't answer my prayer you see the issue is is our desire lining up with his will? We try to say, Lord, you need to bend to our will rather than us bending to his will. That is the truth of the, what the scripture is saying here. He says we can have a confidence. We're able to boldly approach him. Number one, we're able to approach him not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Right? And so when we come before him, we can come with that boldness, but we also need to understand this, that we can ask anything we want, and he will give it to us if it is according to his will that confidence that we have but it must be according to his will as i said and then here are some things that uh, kind of are according to his will confession of sin do you know that's god's will that you confess sin and did you know it's his will that we probably should confess sin daily did you know it's his will that sometimes we need to confess sin immediately when we know we've sinned immediately? You see, sometimes, you know, we wonder, Ian Bounds has said there is, there is an ocean full of unanswered prayer, and sometimes it's simply because we don't ask, and sometimes it's because we have sin in our life. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says that he will not hear the prayer of those who are in iniquity. That includes his people. Can you imagine your child or your grandchild having such a nasty attitude of refusing to do what you would ask them to do and then to come up and say, hey, give me what I want. I, I know what the answer for, for me would be. It's hard to translate out of the Greek, but it's something like, let's go to the woodshed. But that's the way God's people respond. 
And they think, listen, I had a thought on this this morning, and I added it to my notes as I was sitting contemplating, praying about the message this morning in my office, and I wrote this down after I had written this last week, and it says, God's patience is not the same as God's blessing. Now, let me explain what, I, what my thought was on that. There are a lot of people who, whose lives are going pretty good. I've got a job, I've got kids, I've got you know, a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever, and everything is going pretty good. And because of that, sometimes they think, every, I, even though that there's sin in my life, even though I'm rebellion against God on areas, God is being patient with you. It does not mean he is blessing you. And if you really pulled things back and started to examine your life, you could see where if the things of God are not there as a blessing. As a matter of fact, your life is being hindered because of the sin. That's true in all of our lives, isn't it? But for God's people, there can be that certainty that when we pray, we can know that we have heard from God. We can know that he is hearing our prayers. It is this, it is praying the desires of our hearts. And when our desires match his desires. As a matter of fact, take a left-hand turn and go over to the book of James. James chapter 1 and verses uh, 5 through 8. It says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let me just stop right there for a minute. When we pray, do we pray for God's wisdom? Let me say again, folks, how many times do we rush into the week without giving one thought to asking God for wisdom of how to handle this week? Anybody here besides me been guilty of that? Oh, good. The rest of y'all need to repent for not being truthful. <laughs> it's the truth. But when we say, God, give me wisdom, he says, listen, if you ask for my wisdom, and again, let's go back to a caveat, if there is sin in your life, do not expect God to answer your prayers. He is under no obligation to do that. It is only when we come in repentance and we confess our sin that he says, now that access is open. But if we ask for wisdom, he gives us wisdom. He says he gives it with liberality. Let's look at verse, uh, we, we finished there, let's, let's look at uh, verse 6 and we'll read the rest. But if let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let no man think that, the Lord, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What's that mean? It means if, if one minute you're saying, I'm, I'm tracking, Lord, I'm 100% tra there, and then the next minute you're saying, no, I'm not so much there. Listen, don't think you're going to get anything. Make your mind up that God is who he says he is and follow him. Don't have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven and expect to have any consistency in a prayer life at all. It won't happen. 
Can we just think that sometimes the reason that the church is ineffective today is because we are unstable in all of our ways. We are double-minded in everything that we're doing. We're trying to do one thing the way the world does it, and we're trying to do it another way that God says do it. Listen, folks, that's got to stop, and we got to start to say, God, it's got to be your way, and we submit and bow a stiff neck to your authority. That's what's necessary. Sometimes I think that the preaching, I, 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 sometimes I think the preaching that's, that I'm doing right now is driving more people away than bringing in. And that may be the case. But I count on this, is that God says that his word does not return void. And I'm counting that at some point, God is going to break this loose. And we're going to see God glorified by soul saved and people who really want to follow him. If you don't want to follow him, I cannot convince you to do it. You and the Holy Spirit, that's between you and him. Verse chapter 4 of James as well. Look at verses 2 and 3. Again, we're talking about the certainty of prayer. Well, let's just back up into verse 1 and read, read on down. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come, not, come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire and have not. And cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet have not because you ask not. And you ask, now listen, and you receive not, here's why. Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now let me go back to what we were saying. You can have the certainty of answered prayer, but the certainty of answered prayer is not asking for your own benefit. The certainty of answered prayer is for the glory of God, for the benefit of others. Think back to that even wisdom. Why do we want wisdom? I want wisdom so I please him. I want faith so I please him. That, that's, what, that's what I want. So when I get up and pray, that's what, when I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, this week from 2 to 4.30 in the morning without sleep and saying, God, please give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom. And I'm counting that he will. And believe me on this too. Your pastor examines his life. Search me, know me, try me, O oh God. To see if there's any sinful thing in me. Because just like you, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have carte blanche to come before the Lord. I too must confess sin if there's sin in my life in order to hear from God. There's verses 16 and 17. Let's read, read those together. Uh, back into uh, James chapter 5. If you're tracking with me, would you say, praise the, Lord? praise the Lord? Oh, man, half of you weren't tracking. If you're tracking with me, would you say, praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. All right. So here we go. 
Chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. If a man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Now, that's a heavy-duty couple of verses there. Let me try and break it down a little bit as best as I understand this. Whether this is a real or a professing brother, that is who we're dealing with here. Now, again, real or professing, because there are some who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ who may not be. And thus, one of the reasons when you see a brother in sin that we're going to pray for him, and, and if hopefully God is going to turn them from that sin that they have. And it says, here is the issue of that sin. There is a sin that is not leading to death. Now, we don't know what the sin leading to death is, right? It, 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 evidently, there must have been some knowledge that John and the congregation had there. We don't know what that sin was that was leading to death, but obviously there was a sin that was leading to death. And we know that there is a sin that does not lead unto death. But let me just say at the outset of this, all sin is deserving of death. You grab that? The slightest sin, sometimes we like to rate these things and saying, well, you know what, I just have a few sins, they're, they're not bad. Listen, your sin, my sin, no matter the slightest infraction, cost Christ to be nailed to a cross. So there is a sin not leading to death, and he says if you pray for that sin, he says that he will hear that prayer. Now again, we're talking about a brother and sister in Christ. Hey, I've had the opportunity, and you probably have too, that we see somebody we know that is a professing believer in Jesus Christ, and we see sin in their life. God says that you and I have a responsibility to pray for that person and pray that they would repent, pray that they would turn from that sin. How many of you are parents? This is a prayer that we all have prayed. How many of you have lost relatives that claim to be a Christian? It's a prayer that we would all pray and say, Oh God, turn them from their sin. Return them back to the flock of God. But again, let's go back. Just because somebody said a prayer years ago and there's never been any, any evidence at all in their life doesn't mean they're a follower of Christ. And he says there's that sin that we can pray for somebody and we would pray that they would turn from that sin. He says, but there is also a sin leading to death. Obviously, the sin that would lead to death in one sense is this, the sin of non-belief. That person who totally and absolutely rejects the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now remember, why is John writing this? Because there were a great many who had left the fellowship, rejected the truth, and walked away from Jesus Christ. There is a sin that is unto death. There is something, when somebody absolutely turns apostate and saying, I don't believe that garbage anymore, and they maintain that up until the time they die, let me just use an old-fashioned term, that person splits hell wide open. The Bible says, out of your own mouth, with your own words, will you be judged. 
That person that rejects and says Jesus is not who he says he is. That's the sin of the death. What left is there? That's what the Bible says. Is there any sacrifice left? The Bible says no. What's that second sin that could be so serious? Well, there is a sin even in the life of a Christian that can lead to death. And you're saying, surely not, Pastor. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Nothing that tells us they weren't believers. But you know the story that they were dividing up monies and they were under no obligation to give any money whatsoever. They sold a field and they made up and said, well, we'll tell, we'll tell the apostles that we sold it for this much and we'll keep all this other and we'll give a little bit in order to look good in front of everybody else. And we know the story that the Holy Spirit struck them dead. One's laying, men come and pick up the body, hauling it out, the spouse comes in, and before that they can even uh, get the body out and buried, saying, you've lied to the Holy Spirit as well, boom, dead. Ananias and Sapphira killed a sin unto death. You say, well, give me another instance. I'm glad you asked. I want to. 1 Corinthians. Paul addresses the church and he says, there are some of you who are sick and some of you who are asleep, a euphemism for death, because you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So you would say, well, Jim, what is, what's the point of all of this? Here is the point of all of it. Sin is a serious issue and we need to take it seriously as well. And sometimes we're wondering, and let's go back to our main point. What is, why am I saying all this? We're saying, listen, God will hear and answer prayer. You can approach God boldly, but our lives need to be pursuing hotly uh, 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 in pursuit of holiness. That means that we are living a consistent life of repentance. Repentance is not a one-time issue. It is a lifetime issue that we are constantly repenting before the Lord. Because he's not done with us. He's changing us. Number three, the certainty of deliverance. Look at verses 18 and 19. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one touches him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. Wow, that, that, that is so true, even more so today, it seems to me, that the whole world lies in wickedness. But let me just give a couple of things about the certainty of deliverance. We are delivered. Listen, this is, this is a great place for a hallelujah, amen. I don't care. Throw your hand up in the air. Do anything you want to. But we are delivered from the penalty and the power and someday, dear saints, the presence of sin. Amen. That is a certainty. Listen, if you don't get anything else and you're a child of God here this morning, if you could walk out of here with this just rejoicing over the fact you are not going to be judged for your sin, he paid the price. That's enough. That's enough. But not only that, if we sin now, it's because we choose to. I made the choice to do it because I've been set free from it. 
But oh dear saint, one day, the Bible's telling us here, one day we're going to be set free from the presence of it as well. That's going to be a great day. I recently sat with somebody and said, looking for healing. And I said, you will be healed. <laughs> You'll receive the ultimate healing, as Wayne Watson saying probably 25 years ago. The ultimate healing. We are delivered to God as well. We are saved by God in salvation, listen, and we are kept by God as well. Saved by him and kept by him. That's, that's something to rejoice over. That's something certain that you can hang on to this morning. Finally, number four, the certainty of truth, verse 20 and 21. Let me just run through this real quick as we're getting down on our time. Jesus said that he was the truth. Last week we looked at the evidence of the testimony of truth. And you need to understand that you can be assured that he is the truth and that he is the only way to the Father. Look at verse 21, or, uh, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You can know the truth, the certainty of truth. And can I say this morning, if you are sitting here this morning and you say, Jim, I'm not sure. Listen, the whole point of this message is that you can know. And when you know, it brings a confidence. There was a guy by the name of Stonewall Jackson. Some of you may have heard of him, maybe not. He was the, one of the heroes of the Confederacy. But he was a hero to me, not because he was of the Confederacy. He was a hero to me because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said one time, he says, listen, somebody had asked him, how can you, um, uh, how, how can you go into battle so fearlessly? And he says, I don't know the time that God is going to call me. He says, my responsibility is just to be ready that when he calls me. And you see, when you know that he is the truth and you have placed your faith in that truth, you can step out of here today, and this is one worry you don't have to think about, that when your heart stops, you will be in the presence of Almighty God. Amen. Now, I'll tell you what, that's the theme of the book, to know the truth, and the truth will indeed set you free. He leaves us with this, which I thought was unique. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Seems odd to put this there. Guard yourself, he says, from idols. What are we say, well, we're, we're in America. <laughs> we don't have idols. Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we do. Let me tell you what an idol is. Idol is simply anything that eclipses your relationship with God. An idol is anything that comes in between you and God. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be spouse, it can be family, it can be boyfriend, girlfriend, job, finances, health. doesn't matter. If that becomes something that we're looking at more than Jesus Christ, it has become an idol. And he says, keep yourself from that. Guard yourself against it. Has bowed, eyes closed.
So we just pray. Father, once again, we are so grateful for your word. What an awesome study this has been. And I pray that it does what your word and what your spirit desires to accomplish in each and every life. God, for some, it may have brought a tremendous amount of assurance. For some, it may have brought doubt. Whatever you desire to work in the lives of your people, I pray you do it. Father, for those who may not be sure, I pray just as Adrian Rogers would have said, oh, may the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, get on their trail and not give them rest until they would come to a place of repentance and bowing the knee before the Lord of hosts. We pray for this church, oh God. We pray for its members. We pray, God, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us faith. God, we pray that you would forgive us of being stiff-necked at times. We pray, God, that you give us a repentant heart, a hunger for you, a hunger for your people, a hunger for your word, and a hunger for the lost. We pray, God, for your namesake, that you would be glorified. Forgive us when the flesh rises up and that we want to take credit for anything. Forgive me, O oh God, for thinking somehow that I might be able to turn things around here. God, if anything is turned around here, it will be by you. Forgive me for even thinking such a vile, sinful thought. Have your way with us, and we pray that in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.